wrap up then with the parable of the lost son. Pick up at verse 11. Then he, that's Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there, he arose a, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to enough and, and even to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. It's funny, you know, I read that and I can't imagine. He's probably rehearsed this all the way home, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. And, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I can just picture him saying this over and over and over. And he arose, verse 20, and came to his father. But he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, and this is where he, he's been practicing, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, notice that the son didn't get to finish. Did you notice that? Look back at that. Father, I have sinned, this is again all the way back to verse 18. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now he gets through part of it. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You can almost picture the ellipsis there, dot, dot, dot. We're ready to, he's ready to go right into this next sentence. But verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. His father didn't even let him finish what he had been rehearsing. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed, the, uh, has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. 
But as soon as this son of yours come, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. We'll wrap up with key point number three. Here it is. The parable of the lost son points us to the heavenly father who waits patiently for us to repent. The son was still a great way off. When his father saw him with compassion, and our Heavenly Father allows us and allows us to distance ourselves, but he has great compassion for us when, when we're far from him. God the Father is patiently waiting for us to change our mind. That's what the word repent means. It means to change our mind, and because we've changed our mind, we change the direction we're going. And the son doesn't get a lecture upon his return. Instead, the heavenly father rejoices over his son's return, who was dead in his trespasses and now has returned alive. So as we wrap up this, let's, let's consider this trilogy of parables and how they're all tied together. All three parables end with great rejoicing. Now, it's important to notice that because rejoicing is not an emotion. Rejoicing is an attitude. Look back again at verses 1 through 3. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained. That was their attitude. Complained. What was the brother's attitude? Complained. Throughout all three of these parables, they end with an attitude of rejoicing when that which was lost was found. So, all the tax collectors, sinners drew near to him. The Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. Their complaining is in complete contrast to the rejoicing. If anything, Jesus is saying this, that there's a spiritual dimension here, and the spiritual dimension is in the kingdom of God, we don't complain when someone is, was lost and is found. We're never going to complain about that in the kingdom of God. We rejoice in the fact that that which was lost is found. If the Pharisees and scribes had fully understood what was happening, if they really understood what was taking place with this, with those people who were sitting and listening to Jesus, they would have rejoiced. I mean, think about this. Tax collectors and sinners were having discussions about spiritual matters with Jesus. And instead of the scribes and Pharisees being excited about, look, they're taking an interest in spiritual matters, instead... They're upset. Theologian James Montgomery Boyce once said these words. We are never so like God as when we, re when we rejoice at the salvation of sinners. We are never so like Satan 
as when we despise those who are thus converted and think ourselves superior to them. Listen, for us, when we think about these things, when we think about the things that we lose, most of the things that we misplace or lose, it's just largely an inconvenience. I mean, that's really what it is, right? If we lose our keys, chances are we have a spare set. We go get them, and maybe we, worst case scenario, we have to go get a copy made. We lose our wallet. We're inconvenienced. Perhaps worst case scenario, we have to cancel our cards and get replacements. We lose the remote to the fire stick. Worst case scenario, we order another one on Amazon. Listen, when Jesus shares these parables, it should evoke emotions within us. It should evoke an emotional response. Think about each one of these. For the father was his son, one of two. For the bride was part of her, part of her wedding ring, part of her wedding jewelry, one in ten. For the shepherd, one of a hundred. But it evokes an emotional response for each one of these. And before we can find ourselves in these parables, we have to ask ourselves this question. What is my attitude toward those who are far from God? What's my attitude toward them? What is my attitude toward the tax collectors and sinners of our day? We really only have one response. We should rejoice when they are engaged in conversation with Jesus. Verse 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I've often heard people comment that when one person accepts Christ, that the angels in heaven are rejoicing. And they reference this verse, and that may be true. But if you look a little bit closer at the verse, it doesn't say that the angels rejoice, does it? It says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. The idea here is that it is God himself that's doing the rejoicing. God himself is rejoicing and that we are invited to join him. So perhaps this morning you're wondering, and you have, you have wandered away from the Lord. And this morning you discover that he's been searching for you. I want to invite you to come home to Jesus. I want you to know to, that today's message was to let you know that God has been searching for you and that he welcomes you home. I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want to invite you, whether in person or whether you're watching online, to make this prayer your own. Perhaps even pray something like this, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and creating me in your image, even though I've ignored you and gone my own way. I know that you've been in search for me, and I'm glad that you found me. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me for the things that I've done. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to make a relationship with you possible and that he rose again the third day. Lord, thank you for giving me new life 
and help me to grow in my faith as a Christian. Amen. If you prayed that prayer or you're listening to our podcast, would you please email me? You can email me at chris at chrisdorch.com. Let me know your decision. I have a free gift that I want to share with you. One last thought, and we're going to pray together. Are you ready to join God in his ministry of searching for the lost? Let's pray.